0: It says in Philippians 4, verse 4 Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, Rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds There's a lot of good stuff here, quite a few commands, but our focus for today will be on verse 4, the command to rejoice in the Lord always. So that word rejoice, we're going to look at that for a little bit um, in Philippians. The, The Greek word there is I don't know if I'm saying that right. That's as best as I could get after listening to the pronunciation. But it means to be cheerful or to rejoice exceedingly or joyfully. So when Paul says uh, rejoice, that's what he means. He says rejoice in the Lord. When? Always. At all times. And then he makes the point uh, again. He says, again, I will say rejoice. Same word. The again is, is for repetition to make a point, but you should notice in your Bible, it says, I will say, not just I say, but I will say. Paul is saying and will continue to say rejoice, not just once, but all the time. He's continuing, continually saying rejoice. He is exhorting them, he is commanding them to rejoice. And the second time it's used um, it doesn't say always, and it doesn't say in the Lord, it just says rejoice. Um, doesn't mean the Lord is unimportant, or that always is not important. He's making a making a point here that rejoicing is important. That is the key word. And this seems to be one of the main themes, if not the theme, of the book of Philippians. This is probably the most joy-filled book in the New Testament. And so I want us to look at a few examples this morning of that so we're going to jump around in philippians a little bit if you want to turn to chapter 1 in verse 3 you can almost feel feel the joy just overflowing from paul as he writes this he says starting in verse 3 of chapter 1 i thank my god in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. And he said specifically in verses 3 and 4, that he's thanking God for the joy he has in them. And you can feel that, like I said, swelling up As he talks about how they are partners with him. He says, it's right for me to feel this way about you. Paul is full of joy as he writes to them. In verse 18, we see Paul uh, saying that he is rejoicing that Christ is proclaimed. He is rejoicing in that. Um, It's the same Greek word uh, that we saw in chapter 4. He then again says he will rejoice... Uh, with them, the same word, uh, in the same verse. Yes, I will rejoice in verse 18. And uh, he talks about his hope. He's saying this as he uh, talks about his hope for deliverance from prison. He tells them in verse 25 of chapter 1 that he is convinced he will remain and continue with them for their progress and joy in the faith. In chapter 2, and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. Um, Same Greek words there again. He's saying even if he is killed, if his life is poured out as a sacrifice, he is glad and he rejoices with them and he wants them to rejoice with him, even if that were to happen. Again, in verse 28 of chapter 2, we see when Paul says he's going to send Epaphroditus to them, that they would be rejoicing to see him again. And then verse 1 of chapter 3, he says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. Same Greek word again. In chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy... And crown, stand firm in the Lord. More joy. Paul is just overflowing with joy. And then that leads us back to verse 4, which we read Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say again, rejoice. And then in one last place, in verse 10, that same word pops up. Um, he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. So he's rejoicing at their concern for him. So the point is, there is a lot of joy and rejoicing and exhortations to rejoice in the book of Philippians. It's everywhere. And if we go back to verse 4, I want us to see two things in the verse that are connected. Um, We are told to rejoice in the Lord always. And um, always. I don't believe that you can say rejoice in the Lord or rejoice always without them being connected. Like, they, they have to be connected to each other. Otherwise, it's, it's kind of impossible. Um, the, the reason for our rejoicing without it being in the Lord all the time, it wouldn't make sense. Like, the circumstances in your life, do they always seem like things you should rejoice over? I mean, that that's, should be a resounding no, right? There's broken relationships Strained finances, sickness, death, pain, lots of reasons to be sorrowful in life. So if you're going to rejoice all the time, it can't be in your circumstances. It can't be. It, it has to be in the Lord. It has to be in the Lord. And I just want us to look at Paul's life and situation here um, and, and see, is, is Paul just joyful because his life is going great, and his circumstances are awesome. And is, is that the reason? I, my answer is no. Paul's not saying rejoice in just good circumstances, because um, that's not a reflection of Paul's life. So let's look at a few things. Let's remember that Paul is writing to the Philippian church while he's in chains. Okay, Paul is in chains. He says in verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for christ and most of all brothers having become confident in the lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear so he's being held in chains he's imprisoned that would be a pretty big downer Um, i've never been in prison i i don't know about y'all but It's not, ai don't think, a very fun place to be. I'd be probably somewhat sorrowful. Um, It's not a reason to rejoice, being in prison itself. And yet, Paul says, to always rejoice. And so, speaking of prison, let's turn to Acts chapter 16. I want us to look at this. In Acts chapter 16... Verse 16, we'll start. It says, and this is Paul and Silas here, As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. So Paul, he's doing the Lord's work. He sets a young girl free from demonic possession. Um, Praise the Lord, right? That's an awesome thing. Uh, And then what happens though? He says, but when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us, Romans, to accept or practice. The crowds joined in in attacking them, and the magistrates tore their garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them in prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely." Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Okay, so Paul is is brought before rulers, he's attacked, his clothes are stripped from him, he's beaten, and then he's put in jail. That doesn't sound like a time to be rejoicing, does it? I mean, I don't think many of us would be rejoicing. Uh, I think I'd probably be crying out and moaning in pain if I was conscious after that. Um, but what are they doing? You read verse 25, and it says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, okay? Paul, even in that moment, he said, rejoice. He's he's living that out. They're praying, and they're singing hymns to God. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. That's what they were doing. If we go back to Philippians chapter 2, verse 27. Um, This is about Epaphroditus again. It says, Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. And as I was reading this earlier this week, um, Paul says that God had mercy not just on Epaphroditus, but on himself, sparing him that sorrow upon sorrow, right? This implies that Paul was sorrowful, right? It's not like Paul was always just happy. He was sorrowful about Epaphroditus' sickness, and the Lord spared him from having sorrow upon sorrow, but he was sorrowful, and yet he says, always rejoice in the Lord. And he's writing this letter full of joy. And in chapter 2, he said his life might be poured out like a drink offering. Okay, Paul thought he was probably near death, Uh, which is a sorrowful thing, and yet, again, he's rejoicing. You can be sorrowful at what you see and experience, and yet still rejoice in the Lord. Those two things can go hand in hand. And in Philippians chapter 4, right before Paul says rejoice in the Lord always, he says, I entreat Eudia and, I can't pronounce her name, Sintech, to agree in the Lord. And yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these woman, women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and with the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So Paul's not like, everything's going perfectly at the Philippian church, so rejoice. Like right before he says to rejoice, he's addressing strife within the church. Hey, okay, that's what was going on. There was There was fighting going on within the church. There was strife. And right after he addresses that, he exhorts them to rejoice. Rejoicing is not just for whenever everything is going the way you want or the way you think that it should. We are to rejoice always. And so you might be sitting here today thinking to yourself, yeah, but things in my life are actually really bad. Uh, You don't know what it's like. You don't know what I have suffered. You don't know what I'm going through right now. So if that's you, I, I just want us to look a few more passages here. Um, First, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. If you would turn there. In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul is talking about his sufferings as an apostle and I want us to remember Paul is the one exhorting us to rejoice. It's not not a person who's unfamiliar with suffering. This is the Apostle Paul. And so in his defense of his apostleship, he details some of the things he's gone through. And in verse 23, he says, Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from the other things, there is a daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak, and I am not weak. Who is made to fall, and I am not indignant. And so, Paul had it rough. Okay, the guy who's saying, rejoice always and the Lord, he had it rough. A little bit further, you see that he also had a thorn in the flesh that was given to him. And yet, he was full of joy. Full of joy. Church, Hebrews says that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We're supposed to rejoice not in ourselves, but in the Lord, in that high priest, right? We have one who in every respect was tempted, just as we are, yet was without sin. One who suffered and died for us that we might gain life. And so you might think no one can understand, and no one knows what you've been going through, but you're wrong. Jesus knows. Jesus went through worse on the cross for you, and Jesus loves you, the one we're supposed to rejoice in. And how did God demonstrate His own love for us? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He suffered in our place. He died for you and for your sin. So we're to rejoice not in ourselves, not in our own strength or might. We're to rejoice in our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. God created a beautiful world, amen? And originally, it was a wonderful place untainted by sin, and we, we messed that up. Mankind chose to rebel. We, we sin, we break God's laws, we try to be our own God, we try to run our own life, and it, it doesn't lead to joy, it leads to destruction. We were created in the image of God, and yet we rejected him, and we chose our own way. Now, a holy God, a good God, a just God, he has to deal with that, right? And so he is love, but he is just, and he punishes his wrong. And if he didn't, God didn't punish wrong, he wouldn't be good, right? That's, that's right. And since we aren't good, that's a problem for us. It's why God sent Jesus to the world, as John says, not to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. Jesus paid the penalty for your sin by dying the death you deserved for your sin against God. And though he was God, he came to the earth, Jesus did as a man, and he lived a life without sin and took the wrath of God against sin upon himself. So what do we do with this great offering of love? Romans 10 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You decide to trust in Christ and what he has done to save you, and you give up trying to run and control your own life. You trust him with it. You call on him to save you, it says. And Christian, what a beautiful thing Christ has done for you. Jesus said to rejoice, as I prayed earlier, that your names are written in heaven rejoice that your names are written in heaven and rejoice we should we should rejoice in the lord and in what he has done for it is a beautiful thing and if you're here this morning and you haven't trusted in christ let me say to you you don't have much to rejoice in and i'm not saying there's not some things that might bring some some temporary joy you might have family and friends and worldly possessions But those things won't satisfy in the end, and they don't last forever. The wages for sin, the Bible says, is death, eternity, and hell. We're all going to live forever. It's just a question of where we're going to live forever. And so, like hell, that's something to weep over. And the gift of God is eternal life, and that's something to rejoice over, eternal life with Him. And so I encourage you today, if you have not, to turn from your sin, and trust in Jesus. And then, if you do, there's going to be rejoicing, not just in your life, not just in our church, there's going to be rejoicing in heaven. The gospel of Luke says there is rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents, one sinner who repents. So, if you have not trusted in Christ this morning, I encourage you to do that. Coming back to our our passage in Philippians, it says we are to rejoice in the Lord. We are rejoicing always, not because of our apparent circumstances. We're rejoicing always because we are rejoicing in the Lord. And rejoicing in the Lord, it requires something, church. It requires a deep trust in Him. If you're going to rejoice in the Lord, it requires a deep trust. You cannot rejoice in the Lord without trust, trusting that he is good, that he is just, that he is kind, that he is exactly who he says he is, and that he, is, that he does what he says he will do. You have to walk by faith and not by sight in your circumstances, because guess what? Your eyes are going to deceive you. You aren't God. You're not going to see things the way they are all the time. You have to walk by faith in the Lord, not yourself. And Paul, he has a deep trust in the Lord and in his sovereign plan, so much trust that he can rejoice whether God's leading him to life or death, whether he's going to be pouring out his life or not. He can rejoice in the Lord because he trusts the Lord. And if we look back at Philippians um, chapter 1 again, which we read just a moment ago, in verses 12 through 14, if you look at that, his imprisonment was being used to advance the gospel. It was being used to advance the gospel. Paul's, Paul's mission, his, his life's purpose was to glorify God and enjoy him and, and to go and share the gospel, right? He was supposed to take the gospel, and he saw that his imprisonment was being used to advance the gospel. Suffering leading to rejoicing in the Lord he trusted him. Paul trusted that the Lord was using his suffering for good, and not just for the good of others, but even for himself. Um, I want to look again at a few of those passages we looked at earlier. Uh, If you go back to Acts chapter 16, and I understand that a lot of you are probably familiar with these passages, but I do want us to see what God was doing. So in Acts chapter 16, after uh, Paul sets the girl free from demon possession, he's beaten, he's thrown in jail, and then he starts praying and singing hymns to God. So he's rejoicing in the Lord, he had that deep trust in God and his sovereign power and plan, and then if you keep reading, we see what happens. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. So it was like, oh great, now we get to escape, right? That, that wasn't the first thing on Paul's mind, though. When the jailer woke and saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing the prisoners escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. Just a couple of things about that. Paul was concerned more about someone else than himself in that moment. Uh, he wasn't thinking, oh, his trust in God was so deep, he wasn't thinking, oh, here's my escape route, but here's another opportunity. Like, God will deliver me. He'll, he'll do whatever he needs to do. Here's another opportunity for me to preach the gospel. And that is what he does. He, he cried out to the guy, don't hurt yourself. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and all your household. And and he goes, and in verse 34, after sharing and and the people believing, he says he rejoiced along with the entire household that they had believed in God. So God worked that suffering for good. And Paul I don't think Paul thought to himself, well, if I start singing, an earthquake's going to hit and the jail's going to break open and I'll get to share Christ. That's probably not what he was doing. He's like, I'm here. I trust the Lord. I'm going to rejoice in him. I'm going to sing to him. And he trusted God and God worked. God worked. Back in 2 Corinthians, uh, where Paul was talking about his sufferings, which he had many of, in chapter 12, After he talks about the thorn in his flesh, he says in verse 7, or in verse uh, 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, the thorn. Um, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient to you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, for when I am weak, then I am strong. For the sake of Christ, he is content with all of those things. He trusts the Lord. He knows and loves Christ so much that he's content with his weaknesses, with his hardships, with his persecutions, with his calamities. He he doesn't just, he's not just content, but he rejoices in the Lord through all of that just as he instructs us to. And he speaks in the same way in chapter 3 of Philippians. In Philippians 3, uh, we read in verse 1 that he said, Rejoice in the Lord. And then in verse 7, he says, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. The source of Paul's joy was in knowing Christ. He's he's always rejoicing, not because of, of things he has in the world. He is rejoicing because... He knows and loves and trusts Christ. In spite of all the loss, in spite of all the suffering, he says not only is it worth it, but all that stuff is rubbish. It's more than worth it. He says these things not while he's groaning or complaining. He says these things full of joy. That's how he's writing in Philippians. And Paul can say all of it with joy, again, because he has a deep trust in the Lord and his sovereign plan. So much that he can rejoice whether that leads to his life or his death. Church, Christians should be the most joyful people on the planet. Should be the most joyful people on the planet. And yet, a lot of times we walk around uh, today lacking that joy. And I think when that happens, it's because we aren't looking for it in Jesus. We're getting distracted and we're looking for that joy in ourselves, in our family, in our possessions, in our homes, our cars, our jobs. We take our eyes off Christ. We're lacking because we're not looking to him for our joy. But we should be the happiest, the most joyful people on the planet. so as we move towards wrapping up this morning, we're not wrapping up yet, but as we move that way, I want to read a section of Scripture that I know you have heard many times. Some of you might even have it memorized. But as I read it, I just want you to listen. And I want you to let the truth of God's Word sink into your heart. Receive it and believe it. Paul, who had suffered much and was also full of much joy, wrote these words through the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 8. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And what then, church, shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, For your sake we are being killed all day, we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. He says, No, in all these things, Whatever your sufferings are, whatever you're going through, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you believe that, church? If you do it starts to become obvious why we should rejoice in the Lord always, and why we should always keep on rejoicing. The one who loves us and saved us from our sin is at the right hand of God interceding for us. God works all things together for good for those who love him. So church, what can separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing, nothing. Not, not death, nothing. So rejoice in the Lord now and always and sing of his praises declare his goodness let your joy be evident to all who see you don't hope or rejoice in the fleeting things of this life we rejoice in christ our redeemer as we move towards wrapping up i think a lot of you most of you in here would say okay justice. I don't disagree with anything you've said, but how do I practically move to rejoicing in the Lord? Maybe you're overwhelmed. Maybe you're suffering. Maybe you are depressed right now. There's a lot going on in your life, and you just, you can't seem to summon any joy. You can't seem to rejoice, and you're not alone. There, there are many going through things, but praise the Lord. I think Paul gives us a few practical applications and things for us to do right here in this text, Um, there's much more as we look at these remaining verses than we have time to go into, so we're just gonna, we're gonna briefly talk about them. First, he says, let your reasonableness, we're back in Philippians 4, verses 5 through 9 now, Um, he says, let your reasonableness or your gentleness be known to everyone, or you could even translate it patience. In all your situations and circumstances, he's saying, seek to be gentle, reasonable, patient, so that others would see that in you. That's a way you can rejoice in the Lord. But he reminds us that the Lord is at hand, he says. The Lord is near. He is not far from you. God is not far off. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Whatever is going on, he is there with you. And I think we forget that. We think we're alone, but you're not. Jesus is there with you. And he says, therefore, do not be anxious. I think one of the biggest reasons that we have a hard time rejoicing is because we are anxious. We're worried about stuff. Um, And Paul says, don't be worried. Don't fret over what is going on. Do not worry about tomorrow. God is going to clothe you. He's going to take care of you. So what are we supposed to do instead of worrying, instead of being anxious? He says we are supposed to make our requests known to God by prayer and by supplication. So we're letting God know what we want. We're letting Him know what we need. And we're supposed to do this with thanksgiving, church. We pray to the Lord for the things we want and we need, but we do it with an attitude of thanksgiving. We do it rejoicing. And there's something, again, that is key to this, and that is trust okay? Trust. If we pray to God and we don't trust Him, if we don't believe we're His children, if we pray to God and we believe that He doesn't care, if we pray to God and we believe that He's not going to listen to us, if we pray to God and believe that He can't help, we have no reason to pray with thanksgiving, right? We pray with thanksgiving because we trust Him, because we believe Him, because we believe He will hear us, because we believe that we are his children, right? Like, our situation is we have a God who is our Father. We have, as, as David shared last week, not just a Savior and a King in Christ Jesus, but a brother who intercedes for us. We have a God who loves us, who listens to us, who is all-powerful and can help us. So we pray rejoicing and we pray with thanksgiving because of who we're praying to. And when we do that, verse 7 says, The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So church, those things that happen, the things that come up that make it hard for you to rejoice, submit those things to God. Bring them to Him in prayer. Ask Him to help you trust Him. Ask Him to help you believe what we just read in Romans chapter 8. Thank Him for His many blessings. Thank Him that He has saved you, that He takes care of you. Uh, Thank Him that when you are weak, you're actually strong. Thank Him that one day sin is going to be defeated for good and there's not going to be any more crying or pain. Thank Him. Rejoice in the Lord. And then verse 8, it says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Church, those good things, Paul says we should think about them, okay? Where do those good things come from? They, they come from God. Pure and lovely things, they come from God. They are good gifts from our Heavenly Father, Every good and perfect gift is from above, James says, from God. To rejoice in the Lord also means to rejoice in the good gifts that he gives. Our rejoicing is is not primarily about those things. It is our ultimate and true joy, is God himself. It is Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. But we can't just separate out everything that he does and everything that he gives us. He's a good God who gives good gifts that's what he does. And salvation is one of those good gifts. And Jesus instructed his, his disciples, as we said, to rejoice that their names were written in heaven. And so when I think about the gifts that God has given, when your spouse gives you a good gift, you rejoice in that gift, don't you? I mean, you rejoice primarily like, wow, my wife loves me, and, and I love her, and I'm rejoicing in her But I don't just throw the gift aside. I also rejoice she's gotten me some awesome gifts before. I'm like, I love her, and wow, this is an awesome thing that she gave me. Um, So I'm rejoicing in her, and I'm rejoicing in the gift um, that she would love me so much and be so kind as to give it to me. Um, But I receive that gift with joy. And church, God has given all of you good gifts in this life. Some of those are what we think of as spiritual, like the many spiritual blessings we have in Christ. But God in his goodness, and in his love, and his mercy, and his grace has given us many physical gifts as well, and we should receive them with joy and thanksgiving, and rejoice in his kindness. But we tend to focus on the hard things, the negative things, the things that make us anxious. So Paul's saying think on these things, okay? Submit those things that make us anxious to God, giving thanks to Him and trusting in Him that He's going to work all those things for the good of those who love Him, but also think on the good that He has done. And I encourage you, try it, church. Try it. Try thinking over all of the good things God has done in your life, the good gifts and that your awesome God has given you you do that it will change your perspective and help you to rejoice in the Lord now and always. And then finally in verse 9 what do you have learned and received and heard and seen in me practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. I believe this is a call for us as a church here to be in the word practicing what we have been instructed to do in it. Um, As we spend time in God's Word, learning to walk out His commands, our trust will grow. And as our trust grows, so will our rejoicing. The more we trust in the Lord, the more we rejoice in the Lord. The more we know the Lord, the more we rejoice in the Lord. Um, The more you trust in the Lord, the more you're going to see many of those hard things Are actually for your good too. We don't like that, but if you're a parent or if you uh, had parents who disciplined you in the Lord, um, if you don't recognize it right now, someday you'll recognize the good that your parents were doing for you. Um, But parents, you know that many things parents have their kids do are for their good, even if the kids don't like it, right? I remember as a kid not liking many things that my parents... Uh, made us do many times that I was disciplined. If I would have had my way, I would not have had any discipline, and I would have probably been eating terrible things for me, like all the way up. But the Lord gave me good parents, and often we're kind of the same way. Like God is using things we don't like for our good. Okay, He knows a lot better than we do. No one likes discipline. No one likes hard stuff, but it's just formative. Okay, it's formative. The more we grow our trust in the Lord, the better we can rejoice in him as we trust he is working these things for our good. He's making us more like Christ. So if you're having a hard time rejoicing, I encourage you to look and see how much time you're spending in the word and in prayer and how much time you're spending fretting and taking all the worries the world is trying to shove down your throat into your heart. Don't don't think on those things. Submit them to the Lord in prayer, and think on the good he has done." So as the worship team comes back up, um, we're going to sing a few songs, and I have a final encouragement um, for rejoicing in the Lord. I have found for me personally, singing to the Lord helps my heart rejoice. I might feel anxious or down sometimes about something, and if I start singing a song of worship or thanksgiving or praise. I'm living out these verses that we just read, and the Lord often starts to change my heart and helps me to rejoice in Him and and focus back where my focus needs to be. Music and song are one of the beautiful gifts God has given to us, and they serve a lot of purposes. But setting our hearts on Him and moving us to rejoice is one of those purposes. So I encourage you, learn some songs by heart. Songs that you can sing in those dark or down moments. Not empty songs, but songs that are full of God's Word, full of His truth. And sing them in those dark moments. Sing them in those anxious moments. My desire is to see us understand God's Word, to know Him better, to love Him more, and to do what He has asked of us. To do what He has created us to do. What is the chief end of man? Yeah, glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Rejoice in the Lord. That is one of the reasons that we were created, church. We were created to rejoice in the Lord. And when we rejoice in the Lord for all to see, we glorify God by making Him look great and worthy of rejoicing in. Do you think people out there, when we walk around without any joy in our lives, think that God is worthy of, of praise and rejoicing? Like, when we're rejoicing in the Lord, we, make, we help make God look like the beautiful, awesome God that He is. We, we're telling the truth about Him instead of lying about Him. So, I encourage us to, to rejoice in the Lord. Let's pray. We're going to sing some songs and rejoice in the Lord together. God... Um, we can't rejoice on the Lord without your help. We, we fall short and we fix our eyes on other things. And so we pray this morning that you would help us to fix our eyes on you, not on ourselves, not on um, our own strength, on our own uh, abilities. Lord, we want to rejoice in you, so teach us. Help us to, to cast aside these things and to trust in you, Lord. Help us to to trust in you so deeply that whatever comes, we can, as Paul said, rejoice in you always. Help us to rejoice now as we sing together. In Jesus' name. If you'd stand, we're going